Yes, and we'll dismiss the kids to Children's Church so the kids can leave right now. Head on back. All right, well, and uh, we need to thank Sarah as well. Make some noise for Sarah. All right, uh, we, uh, let's jump right in. I don't know how you follow that, so I'm not going to try. We'll just go with it. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, Mark 5, 21 through 43 is where we're going to jump. This, uh, the story that we're looking at today is actually told in three of the Gospels. Um, so we're going to read Mark with uh, influence from the other ones, but uh, let's read it. Go ahead and flip next slide. Mark 5.21. So Jesus has been, uh, been doing a couple things, and uh, the story picks up um, as he's been at work, uh, so let's check it out. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she she had grown worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and when she felt And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You could see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? Next slide. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at her feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother to teach her anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your story, 
um, and the things that you do, we're, we're blown away. God, I ask that you speak um, to each one of us where we're at today in our situation. God, help us to be the type of people who can trust you despite what we're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is powerful, and he's been doing powerful, incredible things. Just before this story, he'd been teaching, healing, he'd been calming storms, casting out demons, and just directly before this, he just sent a legion of demons into 2,000 pigs, and then they ran off a cliff. So some crazy stuff's happening, and people are starting to take notice. Jesus is getting some following. The crowd is growing literally daily. Momentum is growing, kind of like a, a snowball being pushed at the top of a mountain, turns into an avalanche, that kind of thing. People are hearing about him, and they're coming. They're like, we got to hear about this guy, Jesus. And there's this dude named Jairus. Now, Jairus is a synagogue leader. It's very important that you understand his role because what he does, it just doesn't really fit. He's a Jewish leader, a very important guy, and he puts his whole reputation on the line in what he does. He comes up to Jesus, and he bows down before him. Now, this would have driven some people absolutely crazy. Seeing their synagogue leader, literally, it would have been like their pastor come of, of their people come and bow down before this guy, Jesus. He falls at his feet and pleads with him for his dying daughter. Now, Jairus is desperate. And when you're desperate, you do desperate things. See, he was in a spot where his status, who he was, his reputation, his job, it didn't matter anymore. He was at that spot. Now, have you ever been to that desperate spot? And maybe, maybe that desperate spot was when you were sick one time. For me, it's like I've been sick for three days and I'm already there. You know what I'm talking about? When you're sick and you're like your throat and your nose and everything's like all one massive and you're just kind of laying there like, oh my gosh, give me some tea, you know, chicken noodle soup. You know what I'm talking about? You're sick and it's like it's been a couple days and then it turns into a week and at that point you're willing to do, like you start bargaining with God. You're like, God, you know what? I don't, I've never preached before, but I'll even do that if I can just get, if I can get better, it'll be, I'll join Adam and Richie up there. I'll start doing it. No, you, you're like, I'll do anything, right? Just get me better. And that's after a week. This, this, um, his daughter is dying, and Jairus comes up to Jesus and puts his whole life, everything on the line. What he believed, his position, he puts it right there, and it's all riding on who Jesus is. I think it's interesting how circumstance, how situation how desperation, it can change our faith. It can change what we really believe, but I think it's also interesting that maybe it shows us what we do believe in those desperate circumstances. What is it that we really hold on to in hard times? He's asking Jesus to do something, and Jesus goes with them, and it says a big crowd starts to follow. And in the midst of this story, a completely different story, a woman, an older woman, who's been bleeding for 12 years. I guess you would say a desperate woman, maybe a desperate family, because if you've been through something hard, maybe it's an ailment, something hard that you've, you've seen or been through, maybe it's cancer or something like that. If it's something, it just doesn't affect one person. It affects the whole family. 
It affects all the people who know that, that person. So together, they're going through something hard. And they, it says they've tried everything. The doctors, which means, that means they've spent just about everything. If In their time, the, a few of the commentaries kind of went into the different kind of weird things that they would try to get better. And I, I, if I put it in our terms, it would be, you know, different kind of cleanses. It would be juicing, getting like a little juice and trying all that stuff. Maybe it would be calling up Dr. Oz, like, what do I do here? It's been 12, it's been 12 years. Every, I mean, you've pretty much ran out of every option, right? They've tried everything. And I love this little phrase, the next, next slide. He's desperate, the next one. Well, one more, actually. She heard about Jesus. Now, isn't that all our story? She heard something about Jesus. I think, I think when I look at my faith, I, when I first met Jesus, I don't know what it was that I didn't know a whole lot about him, but I knew something about him that he had that I needed. He heard about Jesus. Maybe a better way of saying it is she heard just enough about Jesus. She heard just enough, whatever it was, to go, you know what? I've tried everything this life has to offer. I need something else. I need something else. And she puts her whole life on the line as well. She heard what he was doing, how he was healing, how he was changing lives, the authority he spoke with, the power that was literally in his hands. You see, she was bleeding, which meant she was unclean. And in that society, if you were unclean, you had to, you couldn't just go around and touch certain things. You couldn't just sit someplace because somebody else would sit there. So this made her an outcast, socially unacceptable, a complete outsider for 12 years of her life. She couldn't be a part of everything that was going on. She couldn't just take part of the rituals in the, in the culture. But she thought to herself, if I, can just, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch his robe, now, I, I wonder, as we talk about anticipation and waiting, I wonder how long she heard about Jesus. You know, like, had she heard about Jesus from somebody in town, had the word kind of spread about him, and she just kind of sat on it like, really, this guy's doing all these things? i got to figure out a way to get to him. Now, what she does when she gets to him is she touches his clothes. Uh, you can flip to the next one. She said, if I could just touch his clothes... In Mark, it says that. In Matthew and Luke, it says something else. It says she touched the edge of his cloak, both places, the edge of his cloak. So it wasn't just like he had a polo on and she kind of brushed up against him. There was something else, a nuance here that we just might miss if we forget that Jewish, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. So with being a Jewish rabbi, he had certain things that he wore and walked around with. Here's a nuance in uh, Numbers 15, 37 from the Torah. Um, Jesus would have wore a pro prayer shawl. And the next slide is Numbers 15, 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say this to them. Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. 
I am the Lord your God. So Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and he wore a prayer shawl. As a teacher, he would have wore this prayer shawl. I brought one just to show you guys a little, a little something, show it off. This uh, prayer shawl, he would have wore just over. Come on. Something like this. So if you would have saw Jesus walking around, you would have saw some things kind of hanging off the, off the edge here. I've got another picture on the next slide. Here's some, um, these are some little Jewish boys. I thought they were awesome. They kind of looked like our, uh, our wise men today. They, if you notice, they got little strings. You see that? So they hung these strings off the edge, and they still do. If you um, meet somebody who is of the Jewish faith, you'll see the strings. And the strings are to remind them of who God is and how he created them. This prayer shawl or a tallit. Now, on the next slide, I have some information that I think is pretty rad. Each corner has four long tassels. You see one, two, three, one in the back, four. And each one of these tassels is called a tzitzi. Can you say that? Tzitzi is kind of a fun word. Um, and on it is five knots. So each one, you'll see one, two, three, four, five knots that are together, ma making four spaces for the four letters of the unspeakable name of God, Yahweh. Now, the four spaces also have, um, they have knots on the edges. And if you see all these tiny little strings, there's 613 of them to remind you of the 613 laws and commands of the Torah that they were to follow. Yeah, right on the little edge here, you'll see all these little strings, tiny ones, 613 precisely. You see, there was a, a prophecy about Jesus. Well, there were a lot of prophecies about him, but one of them is in Malachi. And they said that the, the, the one who was to come would have healing in his wings, that on the very edges of his wings, the same, the same word for wings in the prophecy can be translated tzitzi. Remember the tzitzi, the edges of his cloak? It says in Malachi 4, 4, 2, that the son of righteousness will rise and he's going to have healing in his wings. Now, if a rabbi walked around, you see how they could get this imagery of having healing in his wings. So when you read this story of a desperate woman doing something, walking on, and it says the edge of his cloak, it wasn't that she just bumped into his, okay, she just touched his clothing. She believed something about who he was when she did it. On the edge of his cloak, she grabs, she busts through the crowd, the crowd that's all around Jesus, and it says she touches his robe, the edge of his robe. She grabbed his tzitzi. And he says immediately, who touched me? He says intensely, who touched me? And the disciples are like, just like they always are. I kind of really like the disciples. I feel, I kind of feel normal when I read about the disciples because they're like, oh, duh, uh, dude, there's some people around you. Um, you're like Jesus, dude. And uh, 
How are, why are you asking us who touched you? Clearly, we didn't touch you. Uh, it's getting awkward. Who touched me, he says to them again. And he keeps looking to see who did it. And now they're like, crap, what did we do? We screwed something up again. It's like, when did he say not to touch him? Now people are, got a hundred, huge crowd of people around him. He's freaking out about who touched him. But you see, Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the Torah. He knew he was the answer to them. And then he finds this frightened and amazed girl all mixed together. Frightened because she realized what she did. She's unclean, and she touches a rabbi. She literally breaks the law by touching him, by touching the edge of his cloak. She is that willing to, in what are that stuck in what she knows. She just believes it. And he says, daughter, the only time this is written in the scriptures, daughter, your faith has made you well. She believes something about who he was. He says, your suffering is over. And he tells her to go in peace. The word for peace is shalom, completeness, wholeness, things as God intended. And as Jesus was walking around, this is exactly the thing he came to give this world. He came to give us shalom. Shalom in every area of our lives. Shalom, rightness, completeness, fullness in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our relationships. He came to offer this shalom, and this is what he gives us. This was the mission of Jesus, and this is the offer of Jesus to us. Shalom. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid of becoming unclean. He isn't afraid to get right in the middle, right in the crap of our lives and to do something. I picture the, this crazy crowd all around him. And he's talking to this unnamed woman. And as they're talking and as this incredible moment happens for this lady, a guy walks in, a messenger. Remember the story about Jairus? the guy we started this whole thing about? Well, Jairus is still there waiting for Jesus because they were on their way to the house, right? They were going to his house to heal his daughter. So some guy comes in and says, you know what? Your daughter's dead. Don't even worry about troubling Jesus anymore. And Jesus overheard them, which would have been bad to be those people at that moment. Like, so Jesus says, no, 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 hold up. Don't be afraid just believe. You see the audacity of that statement? Don't be afraid, just believe. That he just got word that his daughter, who Jesus was, and I assume he was like, come on, dude. Like, I'm waiting for you. You just took a, you just totally stopped. We're on our way, and then I just got word that she died. Could you have sped it up? Come on. Jesus says, no. Don't worry. Just Believe. You see, uh, don't be afraid is something that comes up in the Bible a lot. It actually comes up 365 times, which is just about as many times as we need to remember it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This phrase is for us. So they get to the home. They get to Jairus' house, and outside there's people wailing, crying, making a whole lot of noise. Now, that's not just kind of there. He says it twice. He says, why all the commotion and tears? Why is all this craziness going on? 
in the Jewish culture, when somebody would die, what would happen is they would hire people to mourn and cry outside your house. So there'd be people who would just wail and wail. So Jesus says, why all this tears? Why all this commotion? Your child isn't dead. She's just sleeping. The crowd laughs at him. Again, not, a, not necessarily a good thing to do around Jesus. I kind of wish Jesus, um, YouTube was around with Jesus. I wish I could have been a disciple and just been like, Jesus, you can't do that. And then took the camera out. Like, we want to just move this mountain just a little bit, just so I can imagine the views. You think Gangnam style is awesome. But Jesus comes in. He brings in his inner disciples. He grabs the little girl by the hand. He says, Talitha kum. And it says, which means little girl, get up. Literally, it means little sheep. Little sheep, get up. And she wakes up. Now, I think it would be awesome to be in that room from everyone's perspective. The girl, which was just like some sleeping or dead or however you want to look at it. What would have been like to sit up and be like, hi. Hey, Dad. What's happening? To be the dad. To be somebody in the room. What would it have been like to be there? to see and to hear what happened. Now, there's a couple numbers. I'll flip to a couple slides ahead. Don't be afraid, just believe. Talitha Kum and the last one, 12. 12 is an interesting number here. 12 because you got two girls. One who's been bleeding for 12 years, and then you've got one little girl who's just died and she's 12 years old. But why 12? Now, in the Hebrew tradition, 12 is a very important number. 12 is the number of tribes of Israel. Something Jesus, when you, when you read the stories of Jesus, and I always think it's awesome, is because there's always so much more depth than you can. You kind of read it, and you're like, whoa, sweet story. Then you see the depth of what, what's being spoken. You see, 12 represents Israel, God's people. And this is precisely what God is doing with his people. He's bringing restoration, shalom. He's healing them. He's bringing them out of where they were into something new. These stories are about who Jesus is. He's restoring his lost sheep. He actually is the good shepherd who comes for his little sheep. And he also is the slaughtered lamb who gives his life for his sheep. You see, it is in Jesus that we have everything that we need. The powerful, the healing, the trustworthy. He is our hope. He is our redemption. He is the one who our resurrection rests in. I don't know if we talk about resurrection enough, but I anticipate the day, and I don't know how that all looks, whether I'll be in a grave or what, it, what it'll be, but I know the stories of Jesus and how he's going to take my hand, and he's going to take your hand, and he's going to say, little lamb, get up. This is our great hope. This is Jesus' promise to raise us the same way that he was risen. Let's pray. Father, um, your stories, they've just got so much depth to them. And as we turn and see them, we get to see you in a new way and how you're coming to restore your people. God, there's people in this room today who maybe they've just heard heard about you. They've heard just enough. And maybe they 
They want to just reach out. And God, I, I just pray that they'll do that and that they'll receive from you the shalom that you want to give us in every single area of our lives. Thanks for your stories. Thanks for the gift that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I need you to all rise to your feet, if you may. We're going to start a little tradition, I hope, may fail. But this is a real simple. Um, a benediction is a word, and, and it's not just a word that I, you know, I, come, I conjure it up. You know, a benediction is a word that's supposed to rest on you, and it's from, specifically, it's from God. So part of what I think it would be sweet if we did here, and I hope we keep doing it. So anytime Richie does it, I just want to, like, look around and see your guys' hands drop. So uh, it's kind of like, the best way I can, I can tell you about a benediction, it's kind of like snow and how a freshly fallen snow just stops and it sits on you. And even when it just kind of sits there and just goes with you, that's the point of a benediction. It's, so maybe put your arms out like this. And just picture like, like freshly fallen snow just dropping on you. And it's something to sit on you and to take, but it's also something that you receive. So you just kind of, as a way of just putting your arms out, is saying, you know what, I'm going to receive this good word. May we trust in the rabbi that he is who he says he is. May we live not afraid every single day of the year. May we trust in the power of his resurrection in this life and in the next. May we get up as little sheep and follow our shepherd. May we experience his shalom, his wholeness, his completeness in this life and the next. And for those who maybe have just heard about Jesus, may you come with your circumstance, your situation, and reach out and receive. May you go in grace and peace. Be blessed.